really good, but I never thought of that, uh, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no, 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 that's just, so I've started recording. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're we're into into kind of flow now. So you were just saying about the Dunning Kruger effect. I was, yeah, and um, sort of like because I've been doing some more courses. Um, I I finished my um, course on Jungian archetypes, um, and that was really really good. Um, yeah, and I and I uh, was trying to tell someone about it and I found myself thinking about the Dunning-Kruger effect which I learned about on the psychology course yeah. and then I kind of really understood it and I, I thought ah yeah um, likewise I've uh, then had to think about it look something up and I learned myself and then another student comes for a lesson with me and this time I nail it exactly know what i'm yeah. talking about with it so i think the dunning kruger effect um can be quite powerful in I, I quite i quite often show it uh <clears throat> in, in very simplistic terms I, I i tend to show it at the beginning of a semester to students saying you know we're about to go on a on a learning journey and at times you'll think you you know certain you go oh yeah yeah i know this and 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 we so i just sort of show them the the curve and I said you know you won't really truly know this stuff until you've been practicing it for some time and even then you'll always learn new perspectives but it, it, it's uh, that that curve up to sustainability isn't it that's right um that I think the other time in the last couple of weeks where it's come into my mind as well was I was reading an article about um uh a comparison between Chairman Mao and uh, Donald Trump, mm. which was rather interesting to say the least. And my my mind maybe um, immediately that I started thinking about this comparison between um, Mao and Trump, my mind went little red book, little red hat. <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, but it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> but uh, uh, but I think uh, then I felt I felt the Dunning Kruger effect because I thought, look, there's this professor who's been studying uh, um, um, Asian culture. He's like a professor of Asian culture, um, right? And he's made this uh, comparison between Chairman Mao and Donald Trump, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then I, and then I thought to myself, oh, I'm even more brilliant than this professor because I made a connection he hasn't. <laughs> 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 but essentially, one of the things he um, talks about is this idea of the monkey in heaven. Um, right. I don't know if you ever used to watch Monkey on TV. I did, and I, 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 I remember it fondly. Uh, I remember the sort of terrible dubbing, and <laughs> I'm sure if I looked back on it, I'm sure that dubbing is deeply racist in it in the way it is phrased and so forth. But I, I, I remember fond, and, and my brother is is uh, he has a big uh, monkey tattoo, 
not not from the TV series, but like from from uh, from drawings and uh, uh, stuff from from the original kind of. I think maybe a gra there was a graphic oh. novel done of it as well. Um, so monkey, as in a graphic or the Chinese character for monkey, or I'm it it looks it's no it's more it's more like a graphic. It's a it's it's a picture, but it's done in a very kind of uh, a slightly graphic novel, but also kind of old. Chinese kind of uh, uh, style of, of drawing, I guess, but it's it's not a character, it's not a, uh, a letter character or anything. It, it's uh, a picture. All right. Okay. Yeah. So so really, I think um, it's something. I mean, the the story of Monkey is otherwise known as Journey to the West, um, mm -hmm. and every uh, Chinese person's going to know this story, and most of Asia will know this story. Mm. Um, and how it relates to Buddhism. Um, right. Uh, now, the story begins in the first episode of Monkey, which I must have seen two or three times, um, like because I think I've tried to watch the entire series a, a few times, never actually made it. <laughs> like the, the enthusiasm kind of just evaporates by the time I get about two-thirds of the way through, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's getting all a bit samey. Um, right. um, but uh, so the first episode I've, I've, I've watched a few times, and it's the story um, that's actually a story in itself um, called Monkey in Heaven or Chaos in Heaven. Because okay. the, the idea is, is that the monkey king is born, um, and, and that's in the title sequence, right? With the egg and he hatches and, uh, mm -hmm. um, and essentially the monkey, um, is sort of summoned to heaven, um, and given a sort of menial duty just to keep him occupied rather than just pissing people off down on earth. Um, and while he's up in heaven, he's always getting bored and um sort of like fucking about <laughs> with stuff up in heaven and, and all the gods get pissed off with him up there mm. and this really relates to a couple of ideas which, which tie trump and mao together that um uh you've got um these disruptors and mao famously said that um mm. Uh, without destruction, you can't have construction. And, right. And and then I look at Trump, where this is this Professor Orville Schnell, Shell, Orville Shell. Right. Um, and he wrote a re really interesting article about this comparison between Mao and Trump that I was reading, and. Um, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yeah, you're right. Um, what's, you know, what does the monkey um, worship? Does he, does he see any good in highly educated people? Like, <laughs> like Mao was highly educated and he wanted everyone to be educated, didn't he? But, but it all went horribly wrong and, and, and Mao yeah, had he, a famine. Yeah. yeah. Trump's got a pandemic. Right. And I'm looking at the way it all kind of like um, 
uh, might have seemed like a good idea to that person with their own worldview. Not that I agree with it, but that when you're seeing the world from the same worldview as Trump or the same worldview as Mao, it all makes sense and you're a good bloke, aren't you? It's, it's a classic sort of confirmation bias, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and that got me thinking about uh, um, everything that's going on in America at the moment. Um, and and uh, really, um, it's got to do with um, when Trump was doing his original um, political campaign. And I remember distinctly him saying he loves the uneducated. Yeah. I don't know if you remembered so many times he was. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that always kind of irritated me because I'm educated yeah and I've spent I've I've put effort into educating myself yeah I'm an I'm a kind of anarchist at heart but I saw value in knowledge knowledge is power and if you want to do something in your life get some education yeah it seemed like a good idea and then along... it, 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 it's the propeller. It, it's the narrative we are told almost from birth, isn't it? That's right. Is, is, is you you climb you climb up through education and, and you become civilized through education. And in many cases, that's true, I guess. But yeah, yeah, no, God, sorry. So, so then I started thinking. Now, Trump worships the uneducated. He loves the uneducated. Why does he love the uneducated? Because what he can control them, yeah. Um, he's not very well educated, judging by his use of language and by um, his failed businesses, etc., etc. He's a showman. He's a a con artist. He's a populist, I guess, and 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 I suppose by saying. Uh, he likes the uneducated. He's also wolf whistling to saying I'm anti-elitist, even though actually everything about him and his background is elitist. He wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be there, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, you're you're right. I mean, Mao was a populist as well, wasn't he? So yeah. um, there's the other connection um, that I think this Orville Shell made was uh, that they were both populists. Um, and when all the um, Black Lives Matter um, protests kicked off, I couldn't help but think about John Lydon in The Filth and the Fury. Right. Because um, if you remember, there's a, a racist comes out of his apartment, like a tower block or something in London. Yeah, it's the council estate in London, and there's this guy who comes out and he's making all these racist um, accusations to to the camera, and then John Lydon narrates over the piece to camera, saying, "This man is uh, this man is angry because he lacks an education," and it hit me that yeah. that's what racism is. 
it's a lack of education. Yeah, it's 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 it's, uh, it's a lack of. I suppose it's a lack of knowledge uh, about a whole bunch of systemic and historical issues. And what what what's conveniently been done is we've we've narrowed in 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 the populist mind we've narrowed the conception of racism as only being hatred against a person of another color and therefore most people will say well i'm not that i don't hate people of, of another color but they don't know uh that the the systemic side of racism because guess what we weren't educated about the historic systemic systems yeah. of racism yeah yeah absolutely now i think Basically, the lack of education just highlights the racism that's inherent yes. in yeah. people. Um, and these protests make me second-guess my own um, uh, racism and where have I exhibited that and, and why was that and, and, and um, is it that... Uh, I remember I wouldn't get in a car with a girl from Pakistan when I was about seven years old. And, it, right. and, and the reason I wouldn't get in the car was because it was, you know, really, really stank of perfume. Right. And it was maybe a cultural thing that they like incense. Yeah. And it, and it, and it wasn't um, the racism about someone's skin color it was the racism of i'm not getting in your smelly car <laughs> no but it, 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 it's i mean i i've i've been thinking about it a lot and and i think there's something very interesting about being an immigrant in another country even even though you're you're essentially white or in a white country um you still notice your otherness yeah. and when you start to notice your otherness you start to see the otherness of other, you know, so I know as an immigrant, I am treated radically better than essentially black people. I've, I've stood in the immigration queue and I, rec I, I, I just see it so clearly because I'm right in, in, in the heart of that. And I therefore kind of see my privilege in that sense, which then made me sort of think, and start reading a lot about, because I've never identified as a racist in the terms of hatred of, of somebody's skin color, mm. but, I've got to acknowledge I was born into a racist, you know, the seventies was still very racist yeah. and I've benefited from a system that has always benefited white people. And, and that has decreased, but it's the lack of acknowledgement of it. And, and the fact I just wasn't, I find it really interesting. We were never taught about colonialism we were never taught uh, do you know what I mean so so, yeah. so when somebody comes along and says that's racist you're like what what There's and, no and then you feel shame about it and then the, the the reaction to shame is to go no I'm not and then and then that's how you get that kind of yeah. distinction and difference and 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 I think that's kind of what we're seeing in America America really hasn't had the conversation about its history and say and say like if you talk to somebody from Germany Germany really went and had a good look at itself post World War Two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you talk to you talk to like kids now. Like I, I have I have a, a fair amount of German students, and 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 the 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 education that they've had and the discussion that they've had, they've really owned it. Mm -hmm. And I feel that's something 
that Britain hasn't done and, and, and certainly America hasn't done. They haven't owned those yeah. atrocities. They you can't turn back looking the up to the this, um, history of slavery. And, and no. It's, um, I mean, I, I, right didn't, I, didn't, surface. I didn't know until I was in my 20s, I think, uh, I didn't realize like how Bristol was a part of the slave trade. Do you know what I mean? I, I had no real conception of how all of that happened. Yeah. Um, and 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 so, I think that's a real shame that that we don't have that, and that should be part of education. Anyway, sorry, I'm digressing. That's okay. <laughs> um, that's good. Um, I think that you know I'm totally with you in regards to living in another country that um, you do see what it's like to not be part of the homogenous population. Yeah. Um, and that's an eye-opener. People won't sit next to me on the train. Pe Japanese people tend to avoid sitting next to anybody from another country on the train. Right. And, and some people think, oh, Japan is so racist that, you know, I'm not going to bite. You can sit down next to me, and and some people might take that as as uh, um, Japanese people being racist, but again, is a lack of understanding or mutual understanding that the Japanese people won't sit next to a foreigner because they um, feel that what shall I do if the foreigner speaks to me in in English, and yeah. I'm not very good at speaking English, so. I'll avoid putting myself into a situation where I'm going to be feeling stressed because what if the foreigner talks to me? Yeah, I yeah. don't know what to do. And I can understand that. Um, yeah. no, I mean, I, I was talking to somebody recently about um, it's, all, it's also the, the, the conditioning that you don't even recognize or realize is happening on a daily basis of your formation. So... You know, I, I, I lived in, in London for a number of years. I lived in, in a predominantly black neighborhood uh, in, in Walthamstow. I never felt intimidated by that. Or, uh, having grown up in an extremely, and Norfolk was like the whitest place in, in, in England and one of the most racist. But after living in London and so, well, you know, I, I never felt uncomfortable. Like some people talk about being uncomfortable because of, of, of not knowing. What really struck me, though, is is only a couple of years ago, I went to New York, and suddenly I felt anxious around people in Brooklyn, you know, black people in Brooklyn wearing, you know, hoodies or looking, looking, and then I realized it was conditioning from like films and music, and wow. the accent. It was, it, was, it was suddenly a black American accent triggered something in my brain that instantly thinks of all of these kind of stereotypes. And it, the minute I realized that, I was like, oh, you're being stupid. But it's you funny because the in, in the UK, <laughs> you know, no, 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 but it is that. It's stuff like that. And, and whereas in the UK, now, if, if I hadn't lived in those communities, maybe I would have felt differently walking through those communities. But I just knew everyone around me was just, just my neighbors. And that that that's the lang that's that's the tone of of of, of that neighbourhood or, or or whatever. But it really hit me when I went to America. And I'm like, Jesus, I, it's it's such an insidious thing that you, it it you creeps up in you and gets into you without you even realising. I know. I've I've even noticed. Um, huh, here we go. Another example of Dunning Kruger effect this week was someone I know was like making their comment that they they were 
um, trying to say something supportive of the uh, Black Lives Matter protesters, right. and they ended up putting their foot in something. I don't, I didn't really read um, too much of it because I think it's a lot of hyperbole at the moment. Yeah, I, you can get caught up in it, and I, I think what's the point? Um, but people are, you know, walking heavily footed into areas that they don't really know that much about. Uh, I know that I don't know too much about this. No, 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 for sure, for sure. I, I, <laughs> so I, I, I'm... I'm not making my comment, but um, some people have their opinion about everything and they've got to say, oh, I think this, and, and they end up getting shot down. Um, and and I thought... And, and there's, there's a lot of white people uh, being kind of very crusader like to shoot down other white people in in a kind of look I've got my my badge of, of understanding and I'm you know uh, you know or my certificate um, and, oh, and, and certificate. you know it, it's I don't know there's something about social media and all of these things where it just becomes people it people want to do these things to show their identity it's like it becomes look at me mm. look how 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 solidarity i am rather than just going i i want to understand this a bit more and and i and i will never i will never really understand it because i don't walk in those shoes right. i can empathize that's all i can do and listen yeah. and and in the same way of you know when when i first uh dealt with kind of uh transgender issues i can remember saying that to, you know was working with somebody who was transgender and i just said look i know nothing and i'm i'm really sorry if i say something stupid or i you know what i mean just just, yeah. just hit me and and, t and tell me everything yeah. and I, th I think that's all you can do is just say look sorry i'm a bit stupid about this because i've never been educated about it help me out or or what can i do yeah but don't ever try and pretend you're like some crusader for people because it's not it's not we should stand up to things that we go that's not on you know that the, there are uses of words there are things but i think just going around trying to prove how knowledgeable you are through the virtues of social media is wrong go and do yeah. a course in black history or or, or 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 cultural awareness or whatever and i might listen to you a bit more just show show that but don't don't bang on trying to put people i just i think it, it it hurts more than it helps yeah that's right talking of which one of one of the things i've been back at work for about two weeks now um, right and one of the recurring themes is that um i'm often asked why has japan been so fortunate um in in you know, we, we've um, uh, touched wood. Um, we've, I don't know what to say. Um, compared to America and the UK, um, Japan's been relatively unscathed by coronavirus. Um, and one of my students uh, posited that, well, of course, in Japan, parents teach their children to wash their hands because I, I was saying why do you you know i don't give my um explanation as what i think it is i'll ask them well you know um 
you're making an observation that Japan, if you believe the statistics, is uh, relatively unscathed by COVID-19 deaths. Um, were we right to do cluster contact tracing and only testing people within those clusters, et cetera, et cetera? Has Japan been incredibly smart? Um, or are the statistics fixed? Is it something to do with Japanese culture? Um, is it something to do with Western culture? Um, what do you think? And this student says, well, of course, you know, parents teach their children to wash their hands in Japan. So I look at him and think, yeah, but... I don't know if I can agree with that reason because my parents taught me to wash my hands. However, saying that, did I always wash my hands before dinner? I don't think I did. I think what used to happen was I was called out by my mother who would say, Kevin, did you wash your hands? And I would say, yes. Yeah. <laughs> In, in the most nonchalant. So yeah, so of course I have. There's no, no routine of enforcement, I guess. Yeah. And then she would call me out and go, show me. And I would then reluctantly show my hands. And of course I hadn't bloody washed them. My fingernails would be dirty. And she'd go, go and wash them. And I would go, oh, all right. But the thing was, that's not to do with teaching. That's to do with discipline. And yeah. I reckon that that might be the difference. But Joe, I, I, I was talking between, to between Western um, countries. It's, you know, like the, the Americans um, will cheat when they play golf, right? And the British will go, "Ah, oh, yes, well, we play golf by the book," but they don't. <laughs> they think they do, but they don't. In the no. same way as the British think they're the great nation of the world because of the empire and all that, when they're actually not, as it turns no, and, out. And, 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 and never never really were. They were just really good at subjugating people, I guess. They were I mean, that, putting flags in the ground, weren't they? <laughs> Have you got a flag? And, and, yeah, and and stealing, I guess. Yeah. They, were, they, were, they were good at... They were good at but, I mean, I, I was thinking back to my own childhood about you know back to the washing hands thing and i i distinctly remember after every class you had to queue up and wash your hands like regardless of what you know not just art and and, and, and when you've been messy hmm. i'm not sure that's so true anymore oh, in, yeah. in 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 you know i mean I, I think we had we had a much stricter routine about these things and therefore i wonder whether it kind of spread as much as a kid I don't know. I just think maybe some of these things have been slightly lost, and and I'm certainly not as rigorous with my kids as I as my parents probably were with me. So I think yeah, it's discipline and routine. I think, and that gets me around again to what society do you want? Do you want a society like Japan, who's an interesting article in the Japanese papers recently, was talking about everywhere else in the world. The rates of suicide have gone up, but in Japan it's gone down because the people in Japan commit suicide because they are miserable as fuck 
going to their their workplace. Right. So they've actually had some relief. Ah, oh, this is great. <laughs> really like not going to work. Yeah, yeah. And so the suicide rate's gone down. Um, and that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. But but could it be that suicide has gone up elsewhere in the world? I mean, the, the, you can't make this complete correlation, but has it gone up because people aren't at work then? Or are people stressing about money? This is true. Yeah. So, so money will be a huge factor of that. Yeah. I guess in Japan, the discipline again, it's delayed gratification that most people will have always saved money for a, a disaster. Yeah, and so perhaps when the disaster strikes, well, when the country's had a history of disasters, yeah, then you're gonna have a pot of money sitting there just in case, and and that's uh, as a foreigner living in Japan. Um, when I look at um, the situation of many foreigners, are they living paycheck to paycheck, possibly? And if so, um, are you more stressed because living paycheck to paycheck, you're going to be more, what, what am I going to do if I don't get the amount of student bookings to teach English? How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to pay my tax? How am I going to pay my um, health insurance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And you start yeah. guessing. Uh, no, and th th this this was a, this was a I, was, I haven't read the book yet, but I was listening to a podcast from uh, uh, this this sort of historian Bregman who talks a lot about universal income and stuff, and it was really interesting. Like he gives lots of historical accounts of you know if if we had and and there's some really weird kind of thoughts about universal basic income. People think that if you basically give everyone free money, then nobody will bother trying anymore. But all evidence says to the contrary. And, 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 and actually, through this period of pandemic, as people have been furloughed and, and so forth, that is kind of like a universal basic income. And, and they're still doing positive things for society. And, and he, he, he talked about um, a, a thing in America with striking. And he said, you know, when, when the, uh, the refuse collectors... Uh, had a strike in New York. It was so such turmoil and chaos within three days. They obviously gave them a pay rise. He said. So uh, another point, um, bankers were like, right, well, we're going to strike, and 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 it didn't matter two jots. <laughs> so, so they just had to go back to work. And he was sort of like saying, it could be that we're about to go through another period in history where we start saying, well, maybe we're paying the wrong people too much money, and we need to pay some. And and if and he said, if you look at the economic argument, it means actually people end up spending more money locally and, and the economy is much more or, or and, and I, it flows better. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to sit down and read the book over the summer because this was just all garnered from a, from a quick podcast. Mm. But um, I think this stress and unhappiness that relates to uh, the uh, your identity through work, your identity through money, and your identity through status, and it, it again is also what drives 
education. I've got to get more educated. I've got to get more educated to earn more money. And we, we don't seem to really talk about getting more educated to be more educated anymore. Oh, that's a very interesting <laughs> point, my friend, because um, I was just reading in my uh, beginner's guide to Lacan. So yeah. I'm not an expert, but I'm just learning <laughs> the yes. basics at the moment. I'm at the beginning of a long journey in life to understand um, uh, um, Lacanian um, psychoanalytics. And um, I, I'm finding it really, really interesting. So I think I'll, it's cool. something yeah. that I think is going to be a long-term pursuit. What I was reading today, let me find it. It was, uh, yeah, um, okay, let me, so before, I'm going to find the thing that I want to read. Um, yeah, um, so something you find when you read Lacan and when you read Freud or when you read a lot of um, psychologists' work, they use terms that sound like something that they're not. <laughs> and I think I was saying yeah. last time, wasn't I? Um, that Lacan uh, often talks about castration. Um, right. And it's not the castration of uh, having your... Chopped. It's the castration of you know you buy a Ferrari and then you can't drive it as fast as you'd like because it's got a limiter. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's that thing that you thought you would be able to do but you can't. Uh, I mm. think it's probably true to say the most castrated person would be a Donald Trump who's just become president and thinks that he's not like won this uh, reality show and he's going to be king. And it, and yeah, and doesn't realize doesn't realize doesn't realize that the president isn't a king. Yeah, he's the biggest <laughs> castratee, isn't he? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, in in the sort of the psychoanalyst's terminology of castration, that's the way I think of Trump as the the word. I think I think there are probably many women in history that wish he had been castrated as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> literally, yeah, yeah. Yes, it works both ways. It works on every level, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, let me find this this part. I've lost it. Oh no. Um, yeah. Ah, oh, here we are. Right. It's Lacan talks about the discourse of the university. Okay. But interestingly, um, they would think that he could have called it the you know discourse of academia. But right. in actual fact, Lacan says, no, 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 it's not a discourse of academia. I'm using the word university, and it applies just the same to the discourse of a company, because what he's getting at is institutions. Yeah? Right. Knowledge. What the institution is supposed to embody is at the place of the agent. It addresses the other. Here the object petit a of the student, the truth hidden beneath the embodiment of knowledge is the master signifier of the institution. 
which may be important, historic, um, and beneath the object cause of desire is hidden the barred subject, the castratedness of the student who offers its um, productions to the knowledge but in fact is motivated by the master signifiers of the institution, which feed into his or her object petty A. Object petty A is you're trying to find something in the other. Right. Yeah. Um, it's the small object, not the big object. Um, again, there's another Lacanian term. Um, the, um, knowledge occupies the place of the agent which addresses itself to the object cause of desire as the desire for knowledge is after all the supposed reason why the student is there but in this relationship one can see that the object petty A is also and perhaps as importantly fed into by the master signifiers of the institution and these contribute endlessly to the castratedness of the subject of the student. Perhaps the student imagines that it can overcome the splitting of his, her subject by absorbing these master signifiers in addressing the knowledge not to the subject, but to the object cause of desire of the subject, which is produced is in fact more castratedness the castration of the student seems to be exuberated by his or her position within the institution beneath the appearance of dispensing knowledge the university controls the subject by means of its master signifiers and it enjoys as the master enjoys the fruits of the labors of the slave the production of the castrated student. The institution is also guilty of giving the impression to the student that by careful attention and absorption of the master signifiers, he or she may overcome his or her castration. This is a system of functioning that is common to all institutions. One can see it at work, in corporations, professions, and government departments. Indeed, in any institution where knowledge in some form takes the place of the agent which addresses discourse the act as a lure to the other's desire the world is full of individuals who have worked or studied within institutions to come to realize that they learn more outside and that the main interest of the institution is in perpetuating its fantasy of itself in maintaining brightly polished its master signifiers it is equally full of people who have adopted the master signifiers of their institutions as their own in a position of hysterical identification, imagining that in belonging to the venerable or dynamic or the powerful institution, they too acquire these characteristics. Others again have been made to feel more and more helpless, small and castrated by the institution over the years. Beautiful. That beautifully that beautifully sums up kind of very much how I feel about uh, education as an institution, it, and particular particularly universities. Can can I just actually just while we're on the same topic, can I read you this thing that I read this week because it's on the same theme? Absolutely, uh, uh, absolutely. From from from, from uh, DC and Ryan about motivation. Okay. By by the way, I wanted, if I'm going to read a passage, just to say that comes from Lacan, Beginner's Guide by Lionel Bailey. Nice. Cool. 
So uh, this is DC and Ryan uh, 2002. Um, first, the more teachers' satisfaction of autonomy is undermined, the less enthusiasm and creative energy they can bring to their teaching endeavours. Second, the pressures towards specified outcomes found today in so many educational settings promotes teachers' reliance on extrinsically focused strategies that crowd out more effective interesting and inspiring teaching practices that would otherwise be implemented. Thus, to the extent that administrators and policymakers fail to consider the motivation of both teachers and students alike, and instead rely on controlling contingencies to produce accountability, the more all those involved in the learning process will suffer decrements in motivation and learning outcomes. Okay. So it comes back to that because like what you're talking about there it, 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 with the signifiers and all of that is these are all extrinsic motivators. Mm. And that's one of the issues with education it is, is heavily fixated on the extrinsic motivators, both pr like with, with, with accountability measures to governments and so forth, with, with certificates, with grades. And yet learning, the process of learning is very intrinsic. Yeah. And, and and these two things are really in opposition of each other so often. That's absolutely true, isn't it? That it so occurred to me when I've been doing these, what some people might call Mickey Mouse certificates <laughs> on Jungian archetypes. And I started a course on uh, ancient magic <laughs> by the center of excellence and of course i think someone like my my uh you know we were talking about the rich kid once and uh the the the, yeah. the, the people who whose main desire is their death drive to be not fizzy to be flat in life <laughs> they have lost their um uh um uh pleasure principle and they've become fully-fledged adults driving themselves slowly to a mundane existence. They are the everyman, the Arthur Dent. Um, and that they worship the prestige university qualification and the dedication to doing as many years as it takes to get my fancy certificate. Yeah? And I'm wondering, yeah, I've, I've spent years acquiring um, a Bachelor of Science in Computing. I got as far as a postgraduate diploma in online distance and ODE, online distance education. And I went a step further and got the full master's. Um, and and I would look at those certificates and think, yeah, they are useful. Why are they useful? I think probably that we know our subject and we're interested in our subject, whether or not we'd studied it with a well-regarded university. Yeah, we yeah. got it basically to avoid a long bloody conversation trying to persuade someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about that we know what we're talking about yeah 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 it's a, it, it opens doors 
yeah yeah and some sometimes it is it's just like like with me i'm not allowed to teach at a university without a master's i would argue that my experience of, of working with learning particularly online learning informed my understanding of that better than the masters i have yeah and 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 many of the people i was on the masters with were doing it for the certificate for job promotion i didn't we i didn't start out i ended up being useful to to, to attain a job but even then, when I was going through the process of being hired, I had this whole thing of, well, a British master's isn't as good as a Norwegian master's. I'm like, well, then, then, then the whole system is 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 irrelevant. Right. What's the value of the certificate? Yeah. <laughs> what's, was, the, what's the value? Of it? Yeah. As I was going on recently with my COVID nineteen um, contact tracing certificate, I would say, I've got a certificate. Have you got a certificate? <laughs> you haven't got a certificate. Well, my friend, then you've only got an opinion. And that's not quite as good as my certificate. I'll hold you. Yes. And, and where does my certificate come from? The John Hopkins University. Well, then that's all to do with what authority you hold the John Hopkins University. So if you're Donald Trump, then you probably say, oh, they're naturally overrated because everyone that doesn't agree with me is overrated. <laughs> so, so. But, but that, is, that is often done with certificates. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I, I've, yeah, I've, I've got a certificate from uh, Oxford University having done a leadership course. But if somebody doesn't want to hear my opinions about leadership, they go, oh, yeah, but that, that was just a residential. You know, it's not, it's not an MBA. <laughs> so it, people are incredibly selective about what certificates they want to value anyway. So, that, again, the whole thing becomes preposterous. I know. I, this is kind of like why I'm finding Lacan so brilliant because – when I'm reading Lacan, everything he's talking about makes total sense. Now, I, I, that's why that's the drive I've got to really, really know what Lacan was um, on about. Um, so I've bought another book on Lacan this week. But <laughs> and, and, and on the point about, uh, I think you were sort of like saying about you know essentially being the university is essentially designed to filter out and control and and there's a really beautiful um uh interview on youtube with chomsky and uh, noam chomsky and, and andrew ma the journalist where he's saying you know you are censored and he goes no 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 i'm a journalist i i hold truth to power and he went no you he said you would have been filtered out and you wouldn't be here because on the job application, where you went, all of these things. He said there are all these little intrinsic things through the whole system that are filtering out anyone that might be uh, rattling the cage. Mm. Yeah. Many universities are still operating this filtering out process. Mm. And, but no, but universities are being funded by either students or by the state to increase learning opportunity but the practices of most universities are still filtering people out and using the students as kind of slave labor for their research yeah, yeah. and and that isn't real i've i've i'm kind of i feel a bit like a priest in the catholic church who's lost his faith in that sense right. because it really it really dismays me 
that so much of the practices and and I, I had an argument with a professor once saying like he was saying like you have you have to teach everything with like solid re you know backed by solid research and so forth and I was like great you know but I, I find media science a bit of a, a strange notion as a science but um I said but how, how much of your practice is informed by like research and literature anyway what do you mean and I said well have you read and studied learning literature because that's your job you're, you're not a media producer you're you're, you're a teacher mm. and most teachers don't know anything about yeah, learning literature. So, so it's kind of like we we don't practice what we preach ninety percent of the time either. You know, um, I've started this uh, um, ancient magic diploma course. Okay. Yes, I'm interested about this. I need to know more about this. Okay, so um, how did this come about? Right. Okay, so. I think I, I mentioned last time that I was doing this um, Jungian archetypes course. And the reason I yeah. was doing that was because the algorithm must have read me writing about um, Jungian archetypes so often on social media that it started advertising this Jungian archetypes course. And because I'm putting this... Um, English teaching framework together based on a hero's journey and Jungian archetypes. Yeah. I thought, oh, well, it is discounted to just about £29 sterling. That's all right. I might as well do it. You know, worst, yeah. worst I lose £29 and don't really learn anything that useful. Okay. But probably I am going to learn something useful. And as it turns yeah. out, I did learn a lot of very useful things. That's worth it in itself. Yeah, even if it just gives you a different perspective on a certain aspect of life, that's worth it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And so it got me thinking about the value of education and and, and the value of the certificate and, and so, so on. So I finished the Jungian Archetypes course, and actually the amount of English lessons where the students are interested in talking about um, wizards, um, interested in talking about Harry Potter. They're interested in um, asking me questions about what is a hero and, and asking me about mythology from, from my home country and my culture. And it's a great conversation starter. What is an innocent? Who do you know? Someone? Are you? Would you say that you're an explorer kind of person? So once I've I've kind of like taught them what an archetype actually is and its right. um, common pattern um, that people from all over the world can tap into. Ah, yeah, I know what you mean. I somehow know of these kind of people through my subconscious, that I right. will know someone who is a trickster, a right. broker. I know yeah, yeah, someone yeah. who is the archetypal sage. And I know mm. someone, you know, and so as far as actually flexing um, the muscle of speaking another language, being able to say to someone, okay, so what do you think of if I say a sage? Do you know what a sage is? 
Uh, he's looking for knowledge. You're right. Yes. And, and okay, so what kind of character in a movie? Ah, uh, Yoda. Ah, uh, yes. A very good yes. example. And so on. Now, my, my, this, this course was £29, and it was brilliant. And it really got me I had yeah. to write assignments on things like, uh, um, you know, write a um, critical review of The Matrix um, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and describe which characters. And, and then you had to um, analyze the character of Cypher and who is he. So I researched and I thought I found an article that said he's a trickster. Um, and I thought, yeah, you know, in a way he is a trickster. Um, and he looks at his shadow side and, um, and turns against the group. Yeah. But from where I was looking at it with new eyes, I was thinking, nah, actually he's an everyman. So I, I, I counter argued against the research of, of someone's blog who had described him as a um trickster and i presented mm. a pretty solid case to say look in, I, I i understand why this person would describe him as a trickster however from my perspective i've i now understand that an everyman simply wants to go about life with as little disruption and uh um change from the norm it, the yeah. company man, and and as far as I'm concerned, Cipher just wanted to be um, uh, plugged back into the Matrix so that he would be naive to the existence of the Matrix and just go back to yeah. living an everyday normal life. Ignorance is bliss, yeah. So that's why I I, I counted. So at the end of it, okay, I've. I've had at least uh, three repeat bookings because the student now wants to talk about a different archetype next time. They've booked me again. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've got like a little format to go, right, well, last time we talked about an everyman. The time before that, we talked about a sage. So today's lesson, here's some options. We could talk about a magician. Or we could talk about uh, the innocent. We could talk about any one of the 12 Jungian archetypes. Because I've got some knowledge to be able to feed the student and satisfy but that, their that, curiosity. But that's brilliant because you, you, you're using knowledge that you've acquired yep. in a pragmatic way that actually has pragmatic results. Yep. So so you, you, you can go, oh, that bit of knowledge actually has obvious value. Yeah. Not that that should be the only reason you do it. But also... Um, you're not just regurgitating that knowledge. Like you could easily just sit there and do a class on Jungian archetypes. I know Jungian I... archetypes, and I'll tell you what they're all about. <laughs> I don't do that. Do which is quite often, which is quite often what the the classic lecture is: is I've taken this book, and now I'm going to read this book to you, <laughs> so you can write it down in your books. Which is, you know, that was why lectures were invented because we didn't have the printing press, yeah. and and. But what you're doing is you're using the knowledge to inform your pedagogy of a different in a different context, yeah. and that that's the power of knowledge is being able to reshape 
and reuse and reimagine. So that not to just regurgitate. Course. That's the value yes. of my twenty nine pounds. Ain't the certificate. It's no one. It's empowered me to create my um, learning framework with additional information I didn't know before. Great. Yeah. It's informed me um, of some ideas that I can use in a practical way um, to um, enjoy my job teaching and also um, by all accounts I'm getting repeat bookings so the students are obviously enjoying talking to me about archetypes. Excellent. So when I saw that the uh, ancient magic course was available for £29, I thought I shall give it a punt (laughs) because I know Japanese students love Harry Potter. They're absolutely loving Harry Potter. They always want to talk about the magician, right? Bring it on. Yeah, it's the same here. It's the same here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when we've gone through the Jungian archetypes, I may just let it slip that I'm studying ancient magic to do with the Celtic. Um, magic and uh, I started today and I um, in my in the introduction I decided that rather than just study and make notes I will I'm showing you that my notes of the um, uh, yeah, I can see cycle of yeah. These are um, symbols of the different seasons. Um, so these would have been used by the Celts and the Picts. Um, right. Uh, are, they, are, they, are these similar to like runes? Yeah, they're they're actually okay. alchemist symbols for the different okay. um, seasons. And we're taught in the introduction. Basically, it's just a you know an overview of what this course is about. And it's very interesting. And my cool. students are going to laugh this up. They're going to love it, right? <laughs> because also, because I want to maximize the amount I get out of the course for me, education-wise, yep. and I'm feeling a little bit like I should be getting back to doing some Japanese study, I decided yeah, yeah. that... If I can explain everything I learn on this course in Japanese, <laughs> then I can talk to my Japanese friends about um, ancient magic in Japanese. <laughs> and so also I need to be practicing my writing skills with Chinese characters. So I've been write, looking up the, uh, the words in Japanese and then writing my notes with words such as um, renkin jutsu, um, which is alchemist. <laughs> and that might not be in the lexicon that's of much value at the train station, but it's certainly going to surprise someone at some time in a bar when I turn around and, <laughs> and say that I've been studying ancient magic or uh, um, that... Uh, um, It occurred to me that I'm not studying because I want another job. I love teaching, and I'm not looking for another job. However, 
if I do end up at some stage in the future living until 150, I'm probably going to go to a job interview at some point. I would imagine when I'm maybe 120 and I come out of retirement. And I'm just waiting for that moment where the interviewer says, um, so why should we offer you this position? Because they always do. And I'll say, well, I studied ancient magic. And if you don't give me the job, I'll turn you into a fucking toad. <laughs> <laughs> But, but I mean, you, you you raise an important point, like this notion of like your your intrinsic motivation to do this, rather than just that like you you you've evolved away from the certificate and into this. Like, I want to study this because it informs what I'm doing, which is what learning should be. And yeah. I, I think what what's really interesting is when I think about it, when people attain a certificate, the problem is is it solidifies that learning into that moment in time. So somebody has a degree and they go, well, I have a degree in media. Well, I have a degree in media from 1997. A lot has happened <laughs> since then. Yeah. Therefore, mo most of that is vastly irrelevant. And, 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 and so, you know, my, my, my master's in, 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 in education is from, what, 2016, 17? I can't remember, 2016. Already the world has massively evolved. Do you know I mean, so these things become little, a, a, a bit like the mosquito in Amber in Jurassic Park, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's frozen and it, it can, but unless you release it and kind of add to it and modify it, 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 it doesn't live. Put it together with the Dunning-Kruger effect and what you have is the newbie in media coming out of university and going, well, don't you know, because I studied this. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Well, it, it gives you a kind of it gives you a false really confidence, really right? Huh? It gives you a sort of false confidence. Yeah, yeah. That I've I've got a certificate and I nail it to the wall and that kind of shows that I know something about yeah. something. I learned but it. Le learning is and it was relevant to what was going on in the world at that time. And as you just said, um, like studying something so, like media. So doesn't that make doesn't that make the notion of kind of like I always thought this about like uh, in work, like you get your university education and then you kind of go into work and pretty much everyone stops learning at that point. Oh yeah, I mean some people do a master's uh, in Norway. Everyone does one because you have to have a master's almost to get any job here. But it, it's it's a real shame that what we don't have is a continued learning process not not for certificates but just actually time like every job should have time like go, go and spend 20 percent of your time learning about something and, and i think it would enrich society so much but not you can't be doing it for extrinsic motivation what we are john what what i learned on my jungian archetype course was that both you and me are sages <laughs> what we want <laughs> to do is is become sages and, and, yeah. and we live to um, fill ourselves. I'm getting, with, I'm getting oh, the beard sorry. for it, you see. You're getting the beard from it. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I don't look like a sage. I, but maybe the true sage doesn't look like a sage. <laughs> maybe there's exactly. philosophy in that. Yoda doesn't look like a sage. Well, I suppose he does. 
but um well no i mean i i i often i mean as a teacher i don't think of myself as somebody who should impart knowledge i feel that i'm a co-creator of knowledge um but i also feel like i'm a bit of a curator and a guide through you know and it's not <laughs> and and i there's nothing i love more than being able to kind of sit down with students and 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 discuss things and chat things without i don't really like doing the lecture or you know the, the economics of institutions and the way things every everything's engineered has driven us to that but i i, I think it it it's antithesis to actually what we want it to be and i i don't think it's helping society at all every time we do a podcast john we we mm. both talk about things and we learn from each other <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, that's why I love doing. It. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't really care if anyone else is listening. No. For me, and, and I, I like being oh, yeah. able to go back in a couple of months' time and and listen to it and kind of go, well, okay, what have I what have I gone beyond that, or where what what avenue did I go down yeah. further? And I, I think that's the relationship you and I have always had. We've always right. well, pushed each other to learn new things and try new stuff out. Two sages, you see, two sage philosophers in. <laughs> on a fishing trip in search for meaning and, and often uh, having a great haul <laughs> which is interesting because the only time that I've, I've yeah the only time i ever really went fishing was actually funnily enough in norway before i lived here and a, a friend of mine took we went out on this uh, lake and he said you know what he said i learned in australia when i went fishing in australia prawns are the best thing to catch fish he said they were just hopping on the line and i was all right well let's go and get some prawns then and we go out and we're sitting there for hours nothing <laughs> and i said well when you went fishing mate where did did you go fishing in the sea and he was like yeah and i went i'm assuming that freshwater lake fish don't know what a fucking prawn is <laughs> and and sometimes like maybe some universities or some courses are a freshwater lake and some of the sea yeah. and you don't you don't <laughs> <laughs> the bait in that is 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 crucial as well, or the teacher, or what? I, do you know what I mean? It's it's uh... Uh, it's brilliant. It's, it's I think it's working out really nicely that every two weeks, like we've learned something, and there's something going on in the world, whether it's politics or just in the news feed or whatever that relates to what whatever we've been learning. Um, yeah. Uh, something that I uh, I'm I'm a big fan of um, a Japanese anime called Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I, I know of it, but I don't know it. And and I I always feel bad because I'm surrounded by so many people who are into anime, mm. and really beyond dipping my toe into like a the, the classics like Akira and so forth. I don't know enough mm. about anime, and I, I feel okay. like. That, that's an area I should look into. Some good stories there, I think. So, um, almost very similar to yourself. Uh, you know, I live in Japan, but um, I don't know that much anime. Um, it's it's really not why I came to Japan. I can appreciate the art of it, um, but I'm I'm not uh, a, a big anime geek by any stretch of the imagination but i do love um uh eva as they call it um right now the reason that i love evangelion apart from it being really cool and having giant robots fighting 
um, which you're gonna love, um, is it gets really psychoanalytical. After about 10, 12 episodes, it gets into some really heavy psychology. Uh, right. And often, um, uh, I, when I'm reading Lacan, I'm thinking about Evangelion. And I'm thinking, right, something about this. And of course, I've over the last couple of weeks when I've been searching um, the internet more and more about Lacan and Evangelion, I've unearthed a whole load of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Isn't that fascinating when that happens? Isn't that funny that, um, you know, you move one little rock and a whole thing tumbles down. You go, oh, my God. Like, most of Evangelion, yeah, um, deals with Freudian um, psychoanalysis. Um, right. There's also um, a lot of Lacanian concepts, um, such as the real, the imaginary, the symbolic, um, being played with with the plot. And the Japanese um, creator of the series, you know, will say, "Yeah, I'm drawing on Lacan, <laughs> drawing on uh, influences, especially Freud." Um, in fact. I think there's two episodes named after Freudian concepts. Um, but there's an episode called The Hedgehog Dilemma. That's uh, right. Arthur Schopenhauer, I think. Yeah. You know, right. the, you know the porcupine dilemma or the hedgehog's dilemma? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that really describes the mood of Evangelion. That... Mm. It's set in a dystopian world dealing with issues with surviving like um, the end of the world, like a pandemic, the loneliness, yes. the pain. <laughs> <laughs> and I've just been through a couple of months and then yeah. I've got into um, the psychology, I've got into Lacan and then, oh my God. Let me just start. So I started re-watching Evangelion. Right. And the more I watch it, the more connections I make with what's been happening in this pandemic. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So I'm kind of really enjoying that at the moment. It's, it's so nice when you, when you can kind of go back to something you love but re then start to see the subtext of it. Yeah. And, and, and it's great because it, mean, it also means that that thing works without the subtext which i think is important um and and it's so nice to kind of go back and find those layers and understand yeah those things whether whether, whether the creators meant it or not um i, I love that because it, it, it it's like it, it goes back to your thing of like finding a delighter yeah yeah absolutely so actually next year there's going to be a book released on evangelion these uh the psychology of Evangelion. Okay. Oh wow! And that's yeah. going to be released next year. So I've got the best part of six months to a year to actually get my head around all these Lacanian um, psychology um, concepts, yeah. so that when that book's released, 
I'll really understand what they're writing about because I'll know. Yeah, and you can really enjoy it on that. Yeah, yeah. And also, um, I'll have watched it two or three times in Japanese. <laughs> so it's going to help my Japanese again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And the other, the other thing, actually, the other thing that I've learned um, relates to my English teaching framework. It's a really interesting thing that during the pandemic, when kids um, have been at home, not at school, parents have been teaching from home, there was an article in the Japanese um, newspaper about um, kamishibai, um, which is paper theatre. Right. And so I thought, oh, okay, this sounds interesting. Something that I didn't know about. I've lived in Japan almost six years now, and I've never really seen this paper play, paper theatre um, used. Okay. okay. But when I saw it, I thought, that's brilliant. Because parents can say have their kids write a story, create, um, you know, do a bit of storytelling. You know, did when you were a kid, did you have a sort of toy theater or? Yeah. And, and, and like a puppet booth, I think like yeah. a, like a, not punch and Judy, but the booth was like a punch and Judy thing. But I had, I, I think I had, I think I may have even had some, of the Muppets, like Kermit the Frog okay. and Piggy or something. Yeah, well, yeah. I know myself and my sister, we had like a cardboard theatre and we had the actors on strips of cut. Oh, on sticks. On sticks. On sticks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and you'd pull them yeah. in and pull them out. Yeah, if you've ever yeah seen, had that as well, yeah. yeah. If you've ever seen, is it the, the railway story, they've got pretty much exactly the same cardboard theatre that we had yes. as kids. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, you know, like, because I'm an anarchist, it would always be like my sister would be doing it properly and I'd be going, oh, fuck off! <laughs> 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 Trying to headbutt the characters and my sister yeah, would yeah. Get, start crying. <laughs> no, that's a lie, actually, she didn't. My, my sister <laughs> would just probably slap me from what, what I remember. Right. But, you know, it was, it, was, it was fun. And I think my parents, like, probably saw it as this is how it should be it shouldn't be sitting in front of the television <laughs> um and you know we see the value in in actually getting the creative process flowing by way of yeah. telling stories which is really the kernel of my idea in how to teach english as a foreign language is yeah. is 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 allow the student a bit more creative freedom to learn the language that they want to learn, not just this is what you're going to learn. It, it goes back to that principle of, of, of learning through play. Yeah. And and it's such an essential aspect, and, and not just as children. And we, 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 we learn so much as children through play. Mm. And then bizarrely, we then go to school and almost stop Play is only allowed in is, is only allowed in free time. Mm. It has no place within a classroom, and it's the same at uni. I mean, I, I try and I try and get my students to kind of play. It's one of the first lessons I do with students is 
I I do a you know the happy is you know it song. I play that on the screen and get everybody to stand up and do it. And the awkwardness is beautiful. <laughs> but by but but by the end, they're all kind of smiling and having a laugh. And then the whole lesson is about you know you can't really start to be creative unless you get in a playful mind and all of this sort of stuff. And and I I, I think playing with stuff and 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 learning through that and as you say this kind of framework it's so much better than just somebody droning on at you ah what you're going to have john is in a in a year or two some point in the future like because of social networks someone's going to inform the next generation of students who are coming oh yeah that mr Harmon. yeah he always does this thing we're happy and you know it don't worry about it take a gun Put it in your pocket <laughs> <laughs> and reenact the Joker scene. <laughs> well, one of the ones I wanted to do was was do it one year uh-huh. and then pay pay some like if I know what classroom it is, then pay somebody in like one of these furry suits to just walk past the window. Oh yeah, yeah. like and just that do perception. little things like just <laughs> the, the, the unexpected. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, sure. but um, it, it's it. it it fascinates me because I feel like the, the, this classroom thing, and it, it, going back on your kind of robot mm. issue, you often hear uh, schools, and, and this was one of the big pushes against ed tech, was like, oh, we don't want to replace teachers with robots. But do you know what? If teachers teach like robots, then they should be replaced by robots. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, the what you should be doing is being more human and being more playful and being more. Yes, and something tells me deeply inside that studying ancient magic. Who doesn't want to study ancient magic? Who doesn't want to study these hippy dippy courses and and stuff that's really interesting? You know, when you when you think. Yeah. It. Like my in my family, um, one of uh, my relatives <laughs> um, uh, originally wanted to study law and was considering right. uh, the you know, University of Law or um, BPC um, yeah. and stuff. Um, in the end, uh, um, she's gone on to do studying in economics um and all these things are uh, you know um are worthy causes if it floats your boat to be a lawyer if you want to become an economist great fill your boots brilliant okay i never did okay <laughs> i never wanted to be a lawyer i never wanted to be an economist I kind of wanted to, I think when I was at school, I wanted to be like the guy from Tron who owned his own video arcade. Yeah. yeah. And just like from time to time, like if, if cash was short, I'd write some genius code and get paid a fortune so that I didn't have to sit in an office the whole time. Strangely enough, it's been pretty much what my life was like until I moved to Japan, where now I'm absolutely loving teaching and having nothing to do with computers um yeah yeah but talking to a, another co- co-worker the other day and it, this goes back to what i was saying last time we did a podcast was that i've kind of rediscovered 
that it can be absolutely brilliant to collaborate with people on things. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I talked to another one of my co-workers about the ideas I'm having. And I brought in this idea of using Kamishibai, the paper theatre. Okay. The one yep. thing that's a little bit different than the paper theatre that I would think of is that in Japan, the story is drawn as pictures, as scenes, yeah, and you slide the picture into the theatre window, and the kids behind the theatre narrate and do the voiceovers, yeah? Yeah. Okay. And then when it's time for the next scene, they slide that one out and slide the next one in. And I thought to myself, I've done my framework like a cartoon strip. Well, and, and the idea is you start off with sort of Tarantino-style dialogue in the scenes outside of the well-known movie with natural yep. dialogue taking place because it's based on a hero's journey and TPRS. Um, teaching through um, reading and storytelling. Yeah, yeah. So you've got the reading aspect at the very beginning with a, yeah. with the narrative and the dialogue provided. Okay. Next step is you repeat the scene, but with different characters in a different location. But they could have right. pretty much the same conversation. Okay. Or... If the students, you know, a little bit like, well, hey, I'm going to go a bit more freestyle, great. They can do that. But the thing is, the, 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 the structure is there to support the student if they want the support, okay? So they're not shitting themselves. That, yeah. Oh, I don't know how to do this at the next stage, okay? But we can have fun with it, Yeah. And we can negotiate the story and we can and say, well, what's the word for this? Would, what would he say? What will he say? Okay, right. Or, and I'll feed them the, the occasional line of dialogue if they're struggling yeah. and, and we'll write it together. And now they're, they're kind of like, if they can, they're helping drive the story where they want to go. It's not like, right, we're going to study this and this is what we're going to learn. And, you know, like it's play, okay. Next yeah. thing, yeah, is um, you move on. So you've gone from the introduction of the characters, the, then the call to adventure, following the call for adventure, the um, transition into the underworld, the challenges, um, yeah. the death and rebirth back to normality, etc., etc., And at the very last lesson, when my friend said, look, you know, I like this, but you've got to have a goal, Kev. You've got to have a goal. And I'm like, yeah. And I went back to my old days of um, uh, online and distance education and said, well, you know what? You're absolutely right, mate. Actually, it reminded me. I remember Jesse Shell. 
And I remember Mr. Harmon telling me about yeah. Mr. Shell. And that man yeah. really understood the value of the flow channel, having a goal, yeah. having an end of level boss. Yeah. Well, what if the yeah. end of level boss is a cut down story that you and the teacher or you and your classmates perform in the last lesson of that particular set of units. Yeah. Yeah. So to make it worthwhile, not just like finishing the lesson and saying, oh, fuck it, we've done that, then move on. It's actually because you've got a stake in, I'm going to look like a right twat if I can't say this. Yeah, and it comes up like instead of an exam, instead of a test, instead of an assessment, it's a performance, it's a show, it's a fun thing to do. And guess what? All I have to do is record the audio and sync it with the um, uh, Kamishibai scene yeah. created during the course. Yeah. And as far as actually the effort required to put it together, it's minimal <laughs> because all I'm doing is yep. adjusting the time length to JPEG images on a video timeline, publish a YouTube video, unlisted, and share the link with the class or share the link with the student one-to-one. -one. Yeah? You, now you, I've you've reminded I, me. Now I've got yeah. a goal. Now, now it's worth the student spending a bit of time getting it right rather than just like, right, well, yeah. Because often you, you, you teach a language to someone and, and, and quite quickly when you say, oh, okay, so um, ever, any questions? No. <laughs> All right, then let's move on. Let's wow. do this. And, and uh, you come back to this in an assessment and they can't remember a damn thing <laughs> oh yeah it's just because you were they were just getting a little bit bored at that time and just yeah. wanted to move on and do something yeah so no no for sure so so i mean it it it, it reminds me actually of that 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 good jesse shell book about the the art of game design mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll have to dig that up again because they used to use that quite a lot yeah. as a as a good kind of temp and, and when you look at those uh, game design lenses, they all follow Jungian archetypes because yeah. game design is and, and, and flow and all of that. It, it's, but it's really useful sometimes to use these frameworks when you're designing stuff, as you say. And it, it, I mean, on the same token, I think there's sometimes a little bit too much is made of uh let let's have a learning outcome or a learning goal and hit it and and, and sometimes that it's good to, it's good to have an intended learning outcome but there is also lots of really good unintended learning outcomes yeah yeah and i think that that's something that like dylan, dylan william used to go on you know if you have too precise a target that's all you hit and you might miss some real glorious stuff yeah and I think what your framework allows for is is is, is those yeah you know, in the same way as if, if we could sit down and come up with five chapter points of this mm. podcast and we could say it'll be exactly this time and 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 so forth and it would work, but I don't think we would we would wander off the path 
as much and and find some flowers. I know our, our podcast would be about thirty minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, for some people, that's probably a good thing. Not to us, no, no, and not that... to us, because we enjoy exploring different avenues, different lines of thought. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because also, when you look at the behavioural dynamics of how people use the internet, I think most people's brain wander because. The, 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 the way our, our whole neural pathways work are not these rigid formulaic things. They're actually, they wander around and they're distracted and then they, they make connect. And you, you sometimes have to wander off mm. to make these connections. And uh, so I, I, I think that kind of, this comes back to your whole educational point of like, if everything is regimented and structured in 45 minute lessons with a learning goal and the end attainment level and all of this shit, do we actually learn anything in that? I don't know. Really? Really? I don't know if we do. What I do know, right. Again, I'm going back to a job interview. Let's say you've got a hundred applicants for a job, right? Okay. Are you going to interview the little shit that's got a diploma in ancient magic? <laughs> I'm going to call him in for an interview just because it'll be a laugh. I want to know about it. It sounds fun, right? Because it stands out. It ain't, ah, uh, then I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this. Yeah. Well, do you know what the, the, the interesting thing, Kev, is... Any company that would put you in the reject bin because of it is not a company you would want to work for. So it's a good selection. It's a good selection filter for you. And and that isn't it interesting. That that's something that 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 universities and and companies and well all things when they have the approach that they're in the power of filtering out, they forget that every individual has the agency to filter them out as well. Yeah. And we're going to see that. We're going to start seeing, yeah, this is why so many brands are suddenly jumping like, oh, we, we're, we're all for uh, Black Lives Matter, but we don't actually do anything. <laughs> to, you know, Because everybody knows the value of being suddenly on the wrong side of the filter. Right. Did I tell you about the job that um, I had a three-month probationary period um, this was a desktop publishing job. And, right. uh, you know, um, I've been skydiving for a few years. Um, right. And I needed to get back into the job market, but I hadn't been doing much. It was actually about a year before I, me and you worked together. Okay. Um, and uh, so I got a job doing desktop publishing. Um, and cause I, I've got those skills. I've done book publishing for a few years. I've got some experience I knew the software like Quark and stuff. And, and, uh, and so it was almost like, right, well, I've got that to fall back on if, um, I don't want to be skydiving. Um, and, uh, and I absolutely fucking hated this company. Uh, it was, it it was yeah. like um, not a creative job at all. It was like basically like bish bash bosh. There's your logo, lovely jubbly. Move on, next one, bang. And I want five logos an hour. And I want <laughs> I'm like, what? Oh fuck! 
Yeah. What am I doing? What am I doing? Right. So basically, what is a logo, Kevin? Well, I actually thought, you know, you have to think about the company. What they now? You take the name, <laughs> you find the font, <laughs> you give them three options. <laughs> there you go, logo. It was that kind of. Oh my God! What am I doing? Well, they pay quite well, <laughs> and it means that I can get paid. <laughs> yeah. So fuck it, I'll do it. You know, like when my I haven't got many options. Like basically, it was like I need a job. I need it quickly. They pay all right, and I don't have to travel that far to go to do, do this job, right? So I start working there. And I find myself like feeling like I'm a fucking drone. I'm just like, this passport, there's your logo. How many logos today, Kevin? Uh, oh, about 80. You're going to have to build up your game, mate. Yeah. Steam is doing 120. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. And, and I'm like thinking, right, as soon as I can find a, a job that, that I, you know, I'm out of here. Right. Yeah. And the thing was, was like, and um, because I never hit my targets, because logo ain't just take the name, do this. Yeah. It's like the least creative thing you could ever do. Or get someone who's yeah. got any um, aspiration to do something creative and get them doing that job. You beat the creativity out of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. So I was, I was, uh, you know, plotting my exit after about an hour and a half, thinking, "What the fuck am I <laughs> yeah. doing? I've got to get out of here." And it turned out that someone I knew knew a knew a company that were looking for freelance designers and stuff, especially if you've got any knowledge of the World Wide Web, <laughs> doing websites. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, sounds like me. And this was in a pub, and it's like, oh, I'll have a word, and you know, pop in. I went in for an interview with this other company. They offered me a job, um, and I thought, all right, but this other job doesn't start until the start of the next month. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm going into work, and I've got a manager going, right, how many logos are you going to do today, Kevin? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do 120, because that's how many logos you've got to do, right? Yep, that's right. You're getting a hang of it, right. Oh, I managed to do 119. Oh, pretty close, but not quite good enough. If you don't get 120, I'm afraid you're never going to get through this probationary period. So in my last week, because I was going to be like, thank you for my money, now go fuck yourself on the long day. <laughs> I work my fucking arse off. Logo, 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 logo. 340 fucking logos. <laughs> There. You, there you had your mouse, your mouse mill. Yeah, me mouse mill. Ah. So I went in <laughs> to Mr. Fucking Stoic Manager. Well, it was a bit touch and go there, Mr. Richardson. I didn't think you had it in you, but I've been impressed. Yeah, it's really good effort this week. So I don't think we can offer you a contract full time. We're giving you a substantial pay rise. <laughs> Here's the pen. Uh, if you'd like to sign there and put the date there, welcome to the company. And I took the pen and uh, went, you know what? 
and take this pen and shove it right up your fucking ass, you cunt. Because I don't want a fucking job. And I don't want to work in a fucking company like this. So you're like, fuck yourself. And I, if I have the fucking chance, I'm going to go to your clients and tell them, fucking never use this fucking company because you're a bunch of cunts. And you haven't got any fucking interest in giving your value to the client. Like, go fuck yourselves. I wouldn't work for you if you paid me a fucking fortune. Fuck off. And it was that moment from the end of Midnight Express as I walked out into the sunlight. <laughs> and that that that's that seems a beautiful place to wrap up because we're on we're on uh, ninety minutes now, and maybe maybe next time we should start off with jobs we've hated. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 was beautiful because I, I I think we 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 are wrestling now with this. God, what if we tapped into human talent and didn't oppress? You know, I mean, the the world is having this big question now about the oppression of work, the oppression of race, the oppression of sex, yeah. and it'd be good to actually start with maybe exploring those oppressive cultures i wouldn't mind exploring that a bit more because i think we've both had those experiences and we've oh, had those experiences yeah. as an education and part of the journey we're on now is like being slightly emancipated or liberated from oh, from yeah. those oppressions minor or small as they may be but still it's an interesting journey as well when you get yeah. uh, at my age i'm i'm looking at maybe another uh, i don't know i'm what 51 almost 52 i'm looking at another six to 12 years of working before I, you know, yeah. start to say, right, forget it. I'll take me camera, bum around Asia for a few years with my camera and learn to play the guitar. That's another thing I want to do on my list of things to do on my bucket list is to become a master guitar player. <laughs> Stuff like that. Well, no, exactly. So, so I, I think, yeah, let, let's, because I'm, I'm reading pedag pedagogy of the of the oppressed at the moment, so I'm I'm quite interested in 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 oppression. <laughs> All right, mate. Let's 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 call it call it a day there, and uh, we'll catch up next time. Yeah? Right. Cheers for that. Cheers for another fine show, my friend. <laughs> Take care.